Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Can We Please Talk podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcast. That's right, Mike. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, YouTube, Downcast, Nick, 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 I just said it's available wherever they get their podcasts. That covers all of it, man. I know, but I kind of like listing them all out. It just makes it feel like a lot more. It does make it feel like a lot more. All right. Like Nick said, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all of that. Check out our show. Give us a follow or subscribe. Leave us a five-star review and comment in the comment section. Check us out on IG, Twitter, TikTok, at Can We Please Talk Podcast. everybody welcome back another episode of the can we please start podcast as always i'm mike leon and i'm nick Saveri. nick my friend how are you sir how's everything doing well man i actually got my i got scheduled for tomorrow actually you getting the vaccine vaccine shot yep am i gonna need a new partner you you getting you getting the vaccine there you're good over there <laughs> soon to be soon to be i got we'll get one down and obviously when you schedule you know your next one they just take care of right on the site so uh yeah no it's looking like probably early april i'm gonna be you know double dosed out that's awesome man that's really good to hear uh, a couple of family members of mine have been scheduled i think Florida, the schedule is a little bit different, but the Publix is working here with the community to get people vaccinated. So it's it's like we mentioned a bunch of times as we keep going over these, you know, uh, spring months, you know, everybody's getting the vaccine and getting closer to it. So and, and there's mm-hmm. some good news that came out of the White House recently about how every American will probably have uh, the ability to get vaccinated by May. So really good stuff coming up. Nick. Uh, you know, we just did an episode where we were looking back in time, right? We went back into the Nickelodeon days and reliving some of our childhood. 
You and I have been friends for 20 years. Uh, we've known each other since our days on the campus of Rutgers University. Remember when we used to play video games at Rutgers? Do you remember that? That's actually how we met. We, um, that's right. Yeah, we had, oh, man, like some of the, you know, some of our mutual friends, we, we had set up a table. We are like playing on old school TV set, like Sega Genesis, that's trying right. to let people know we had a student organization around video games. It was wild. Yeah. Well, check this out. Can you imagine if you had led a career as a professional video game player? If you had told your parents back in New Jersey, hey, you know, I'm going to stop this college stuff and I'm going to start my career, my career path as a video game player. What do you think your parents would have said to you? You know, I'm Indian, right? Like that would <laughs> never happen. <laughs> I mean, I can. Yeah, they would have encouraged me to design video games post-college, but right, no way right. I'm going to be able to say mom and dad decided to become a, a professional gamer. Like well, that, listen, that, back that would have been impossible. Listen, our topic for tonight, people are going to think is is super interesting because i think it's interesting and i've worked in this space and i'm gonna explain how in a bit but we're going to be talking about the rise of esports right video game leagues have really come burst on the scene over the last five six years and especially with the pandemic it's you know everyone's at home and these leagues are able to adapt because it's all about isp connection internet right um i remember when i worked at Madison square garden the nba had started the NBA 2K League, right? In 2018, Knicks Gaming won the championship. Uh, they won two tournaments that season, Nick, and each player that year made over $125,000 just for playing <laughs> a video game. That is insane. And the rise of esports has taken off Twitch, which is the live streaming platform, which hosts a lot of video game tournaments. And you can watch different events from different esports leagues. Uh, is Viewership is close to 41 million people by, by next year. So the, the rise of esports is so fascinating. And there are some colleges that are giving away scholarships for this. So we thought we need, to, we need to find out more about this. I don't know how you and I can get back into playing video games and, and maybe shifting mid-career. but um, So we're going to have Arda, Arda Okao joining us tonight. Now, Arda is uh, an ESPN eSports host, and he has recently done the NHL 2020 championships uh, for their eSports league. He hosts ESPN on Snapchat sports centers. Um, and Arda and I worked together at MSG Networks, where Arda was... Um, the host of the MSG hockey show. So the artist got some great perspective because not only has he been around uh, the media landscape, especially from a sports broadcasting perspective, but he's been in esports over the last couple of years and calling these championships and seeing these prize monies, the championship that he just called the guy won $50,000 for, for winning the, the NHL 2020 championship. I mean, Nick, could you ever imagine that our NHL league would have led to back in Rutgers would have led to somebody being handed a check for $50,000. Hell no. No. I mean, that's, that's yeah. crazy. See how good I'm a professional. You're talking about, you know, a basketball team winning at the garden right. and I kept my jokes quiet. About, <laughs> about winning basketball in the garden. That's, well, that's, how, was, I, that's how I am. It was at a conference room across the street from the garden. So that's probably why they won it. Um, but what do you think, what do you make of, of the rise of esports and and how it's really blown up? It's, I mean, I think the biggest thing is when video gaming went online, you know, we saw this with Microsoft, you know, with what, what was going on with the Xbox, with Sony through the PlayStation. <clears throat> now we're at a place where people game online. It's, it's more often than not that you're joining to be part of a community. And we have, I mean, some of our mutual friends still are actually start playing games online as a result of the pandemic. Right. Um, so yeah, gaming managed to hit something that I think a lot of organizations try to do about building community, you know, using an online space to do that. And gaming got this one right 
Yeah, I mean, look, the last, the uh, the last NBA 2K uh, league, which was last year, the the prize pool was 1.2 million dollars. Mm-hmm. It was a 200 thousand dollar increase from the year prior. You know, the six month base salaries for these these players range from 37 thousand dollars to rookies making $33,000. Remember, these are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. When I came out of college at 22, my base pay was $40,000 working in media. And these guys are playing a video game uh, and, and making just a little bit less. But you're seeing now, I mentioned it earlier, you know, kind of, um, you know, off the cuff, but about colleges are starting to now give scholarships for esports. There was an article recently about some historical black colleges that are that were adding scholarship potentials for esports players. I mean, this thing has blown up. And the other thing is, is now the leagues have invested money. I just mentioned the NBA's 2K League, the NHL has one. Um, but then there's other leagues for other games. And we're going to break all of that down tonight with Arda and really talk about the boom of this and, you know, the sustainability of it, because there's probably going to be a lot of kids out there, the next wave, you know, of that 15 to 19 year old that is like, I can do this. And colleges are offering this as a career path. And it's funny because we just had Scott on and he, he's doing a documentary about clowns and how that's gone away. Imagine going to school for something. And now these kids are going to school for something in almost in like the technology field, you know, and expanding on that. So it's pretty cool. We're excited to talk to Arda tonight and really learn more about esports. Nick, today's episode, before we get going here, is presented by The Skin Store. For over 20 years, The Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skincare, hair care, and beauty products. There are no two people more qualified to talk about skincare and hair care than you and I, my friend, two bald guys. You know it. We're going to tell them about hair care and skincare products. Let's do this. What do you use over there? You got any skincare products that you use over there? I know I know you got some moisturizers over there. I do. Yeah, no, I've got an awesome facial moisturizer. You know, when I was shaving my head, I needed something for my scalp too. So I was I I even went that far. Like just took care of that. Uh, right. especially in the winter. Like you got to moisturize, fellas. It's true. Northeast, you got to moisturize. Look, with over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands, the Skin Store has you covered for all your hair, cosmetics, supplements, and of course, your skincare needs. All right. You can find some of your favorite brands up there. Nick, you got any of these brands? I'm going to rattle them off here. L to MD, New Face, Olaplex, and more. All in one place with gifts with every purchase, man. Okay. Check this out, Nick. All you got to do, skinstore.com. All right. At checkout, you enter in the promo code POD and you're going to get 20% off your next purchase. 20% off? 20% off, my friend. That's not bad. That's pretty good. We're out here handing percent off deals. That's all you got to do. 20% off your next purchase. Skinstore.com backslash POD dot L-I-S-T. The Skin Store. Have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Hey, some exclusions may apply. All right, Nick, we teased it at the top. I'm so excited to talk to our guest tonight because he's an Emmy-nominated anchor, formerly at MSG Networks, where I worked with him for years. Uh, he used to be at the WWE. He's the current host of and the voice of the NHL Gaming World Championships, and you can see him on all the cool ESPN Snapchat stories that I love, and that's Arda Ocal. Arda, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping out with us tonight. Yeah, Mike and Nick, thanks for the introduction, Mike. I really appreciate it. Checks in the mail for that one. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but, uh, That's I, a copy and steal right from your website. So uh, <laughs> appreciate the script. Um, yeah, yeah. Arda, we, we are, our topic for tonight is the rise of esports. Um, I find it insanely fascinating. Uh, when you and I worked at MSG Networks, Nick's Gaming had just started in the NBA 2K League. Did you ever think when you started out in broadcasting 
you would be covering a video game league or a tournament? No. <laughs> Expand on that. <laughs> like, you know what's funny, actually, that you mentioned uh, Nick's Gaming. Remember, was it season one or season two where their practice facility was actually in the office of MSG Networks? Like, Correct. They yeah, commandeered, the right? Yep. That first. was the first year where they like really tricked out one of the conference rooms. Right. I can only imagine it's like six months prior to that. There's like really boring board meetings happening <laughs> and, you know, just like, hey, whatever random things like uh, right. they're, they're siding on. And then all of a sudden they put in these like high powered uh, consoles and monitors and everything. And suddenly there's gamers there every day. Right. It's cra it's crazy to me because I'm I'm just curious from your perspective like you you because when you were at MSG you know you covered the Devils you had the hockey show mm -hmm. and now was there ever any trepidation where you're like esports do I want to cover that like take us through that as as somebody who maybe watches broadcasters that that you see them now on Twitch covering esports what what has the, that transition been like so I grew up a video game fan and obviously I'm a kid of the 80s and uh, obviously Clearly, there was no such thing as video game commentator or even video game reporter, really, or at least competitive video game reporting. That didn't exist. There were no competitive video games. Really, the, there were maybe tournaments happening once a year, like the Nintendo World Championships or something to that effect that were happening in the early 90s. But that was more a marketing exercise than anything. And so by the time I was getting into broadcasting, it still wasn't a big thing. And even if it was, it was video games that I wasn't very familiar with or I was playing a lot. So for example, StarCraft was really one of the first big esports and I was not a StarCraft guy. I played a lot of Warcraft and I played a lot of World of Warcraft, but I wasn't a really big StarCraft guy. Uh, and then League of Legends, of course, from 2010 onward as they built to become the number one esport in the world. So my journey with esports actually begins when I left WWE. So I, I, I part ways with WWE. And then about a few months later, I get the job at MSG for the hockey show. And in and around that time, I also reached out to ESPN on a freelance basis. And I saw actually at first that they were going to launch a WWE vertical uh, in the editorial side. So I reached out to their head of editorial and I said, I just left WWE. I'm also hosting this hockey show on MSG. Do you have any needs for anybody contributing on the wrestling side? And that's where my esports journey began of all things, because his answer was no, but well, we, we will think of you for that for sure. But do you have any experience with esports? And I'm a say yes to everything, guys. So I say, well, I'm a lifelong gamer. What, what, what do you have? And he said, well, the League of Legends World Championship, this was 2016, the League of Legends World Championship, which is the biggest esport yearly on the calendar in the world, is happening at Madison Square Garden, two semifinal matchups. We're going to have a digital desk there. Would you like to anchor it? And so I said, absolutely, not knowing a single thing about League of Legends at all. So uh, it was a month out, and I basically treated it like a full-time job. I watched eight to 10 hours of League of Legends and learned everything that I could, talk to coaches, talk to players, meet people, pick people's brains until I felt comfortable enough that I could anchor a League of Legends desk. And so that's actually one of the more proud moments of my career only because the amount of effort that was required because I started from zero. Like right. I did not play the game. I didn't know the game. I knew the, when I started to learn it, I was like, I understand the concept of this game. But there's a lot to learn in League of Legends. And so for me to be able to, and, and the biggest compliment I could have ever gotten, which I got a couple of times, which I was very grateful for was you, it, it sounded like you knew what you were talking about, which is like, okay, thank goodness, because 
I didn't a month earlier. So, uh, but that was my start with esports, and then through there, I remember actually, Mike, at MSG Networks, we were sort of teasing the idea of doing esports at some point. Like, I would always sure. knock on the door of, of of executives and say, "Why don't we try streaming? Nick's gaming people are here. Why don't we create some content?" Yeah. I remember even filming a pilot with Colton Orr, who's a Rangers alumni right. and we just filmed us playing nhl whatever the current release of nhl was just so i can show uh the executives and say this would be fun and people can ask colton questions and watch you know playing video games take advantage of twitch so i was always on that on on the side of creating gaming content you know when we think about game when we think about gaming like the gaming industry you know recent reports telling us are now you know last year brought in about 175 billion dollars you know, which is a sizable increase, 20% actually from, from 2019. You know, is the rise of that you know, monetarily just a case of just gaming, getting it right with online communities and monetization? Or are there just other factors that have led uh, that field to just blow up the way it has been in over the past year? Yeah, so two things on that. That figure is all of video games. So the esports industry, like the competitive gaming side of things, is roughly around a billion. But the video game industry, that includes sales, that include, includes consoles worldwide, et cetera, uh, that is a substantially larger number. And actually, in all honesty, the biggest esports organizations in the world, when you're looking at uh, orgs like 100 Thieves or FaZe Clan, even TSM, Cloud9, et cetera, in large part, those organizations only make a fraction, a small fraction of their income, their revenue from competitive gaming. Most of it is lifestyle, merchandise, sponsorships, content creation, and that's where they make the bulk of their money. And then that's how now people can understand that that large figure that you referenced, Nick, uh, makes a lot more sense in the gaming sphere than competitive. So um, with the pandemic, uh, esports definitely saw a rise in competitive gaming. There were a lot more tournaments. One thing actually that attributes to why, why is gaming blowing up on Twitch? So I actually just read an article on this today. It's the idea of Gen Z, like the younger generation, wanting to have a series of um, shared events and uh, experiences called digital campfires, essentially. This is like a more broader term. So essentially, they want to be in you know fairly large or small groups experiencing something together. And that's why you see Twitch, for example, it's a series of streamers, aggregate them all, and it's a whole bunch of people watching on Twitch's platform, but really it's a hundred people watching here or a couple thousand here. And where the shared experience happens is in the Twitch chat. That's where people are spamming, you know, W or F or, or, or emotes or talking to their favorite streamers. So that's really the shared experience part. When the streamer gets a win in Fortnite, they're sharing that together. When the streamer, uh, you know, hilariously fails and rages as a result, they're all sharing that. Like these are all shared experiences, uh, otherwise called digital, digital campfires. And that's a big reason why the younger generation flocks to places like Twitch. Is the concept of the digital campfire, is that sort of a, a parallel shift from like what we see traditionally with professional athletes, right? You, you, you know, part of that salary comes from the fact that you know, you're basically televised. I mean, you, everyone watches your games and there's just a growing market of attention toward you. Are digital campfires sort of the same concept as it relates to now you have just celebrities actually within esports and that the, they start to have a following and channels like Twitch are ways for people to start to pay attention to them? 
Yeah, exactly. And then you're seeing a lot of athletes starting to stream as well and trying to monetize their 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 fan base, their fame, and uh, a different ways to, uh, to 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 try and grow their brands. The thing with esports competitors, there's there's a big difference too, right? Like there's a difference between esports competitor and streamer. Now, one can be both, but the skill set is different. An esports competitor is like playing in the NBA. You're playing in the top league in the world. You're being paid to professionally compete in this game. You are the best of the best. You are among the best few hundred people in the world at this game. You are with a top organization. You are competing for a world championship. That's what a top level esports competitor is. Now, streaming. Normal, the best comparison really is like saying streamers are like the Harlem Globetrotters, where they are playing basketball, but it's for show and it's for fun and they're entertaining. But in gaming, imagine if the Harlem Globetrotters often made a lot more money than the NBA players. That's what's happening in gaming because the, the content creation, the streaming for the purpose of entertainment, the people like Tim the Tatman and Shroud and Dr. Yeah. Lupo, all of these giant names, even Ninja, although Ninja is taking to Valorant, the, the new, the, the relatively new Riot Games uh, shooter, uh, yeah. pretty seriously. So he's actually competing. But I mean, he made his name as a streamer, as, a, as, a, as an entertainment streamer. And a lot of times those streamers make a lot more money than the esports competitors do. But going back to your point about digital campfires, they are cultivating their communities. They don't call them their audience. They call them their communities. And so those communities are really the digital campfires, quote unquote, where people just pop in and out and they feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves and they make friends along the way. Like that's how, and, and it's all digital, uh, especially during the pandemic it was a perfect time to cultivate that and, that, and see that explode uh, in numbers as Twitch definitely saw uh, throughout 2020. Arda, you know, you've, you touched on a bunch of things there that I wanted to harp on one of them, which is atmospheres, right? You have covered the NHL, you've been at WWE events. Um, tell us what an esports atmosphere is like, because I remember one time at Vegas, uh, this was years ago, waiting online to go into a club and right next to her, there's maybe 10,000 people lined up for a championship of an esports game. And I was like, that is crazy. And then I remember Knicks gaming in the 2018 championship playing, you know, where, where the NBA had set up, I believe in sea caucus, an arena like atmosphere for that playoff. And it was intense and they won the championship there and the confetti comes down. There was maybe a couple thousand people. So take our audience through a little bit of what like an esports atmosphere is like. Yeah, very passionate fan base. I mean, when you walk in, I, I had never seen, when I first walked into that first League of Legends event, for example, it, it sticks with me forever. I'd never seen Madison Square Garden like that. I was used to seeing hockey. I was used to seeing the Rangers, the Knicks. I was used to seeing sports in there or even concerts, but this was something unlike I'd ever seen. Giant screens up on this, um, hanging at the rafters. There were the uh, desktop setups or the PC setups on the ground. And, the, and even the floor was a, was a screen in a way. And it was funny. He, uh, I remember talking to a security guard that day and just, you know, just, just, just small talk, whatever. And then he told me, this is the easiest day I've ever had at MSG. And I said, why? And he said, well, nobody's buying alcohol and everyone is being respectful and people are predominantly staying in their seats the entire time. And it was like, I don't know, a five, six hour event. And Everyone was just glued to the screen, wanting to watch the action, no matter how long it was. And I, I remember that, like, 
I mean, maybe it's a demographics thing. Maybe it's a, a particular esports fan thing, but it's a very passionate fan base. They're very, they love, they, they, and also they feel like they, because they, a lot of them were there since the beginning. It's almost sort of like when you, your local band, you've been watching them for a long time and then the band makes it and they sign to a record deal. And then you're like, yeah, but I was there since the beginning, right? Like there's definitely that sort of mentality, especially among many esports that have been around for a very long time. And so I'm not saying gatekeeping, I'm not saying protective, but like there's definitely that mentality of, yeah, I was here. Like I'm very proud of that. And so uh, the, 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 the fan base, I would say very passionate. They love esports. And oftentimes they only love esports. Like the, there aren't, there isn't too much overlap uh, between certain esports and traditional sports. But not only that, several esports as well. Just because you're a fan of League of Legends doesn't mean you're a fan of Call of Duty League. Doesn't mean you're a fan of Overwatch League or StarCraft or Rocket League, right? Like these are all different titles, and they they shouldn't esports shouldn't be treated like one giant blob. That people should be aware that these are several different games with different audiences that where the Venn diagram isn't as close as you think it is. You know, when you, you, know, you mentioned about these, you know, these different games, and I think about the developing companies that put these games out like EA sports, blizzard, you know, companies like that. What role do they, what role do they currently have as it relates to esports? Because you're mentioning different groups and clans and organizations that all seem pretty independent that sort of do their own thing. But does like EA ever get involved in, in, in any way with esports? In EEA's case, absolutely. And in, in Riot Games as well. That's why it's been so successful. Riot Games really has the blueprint on how to not only create a game that is good for esports, but also creating a league that will be successful. The League of Legends World Championship is the biggest event of the year. They just released a game called Valorant, uh, which is a competitor to CSGO, uh, which is widely known as the second biggest esport in the world. And you could absolutely see Valorant competing for that spot uh, in the years to come, maybe not next year, but definitely on its way, especially if there's a tie-in with League of Legends or just even uh, the cultivation that Riot is known to do. EA is very hands-on with their esports as well. They have a whole department, especially, for example, with Madden, et cetera. And uh, sometimes the leagues are involved. Like when I work with the NHL Gaming World Championship, that's run by the NHL in cooperation with EA. And some leagues are just, or some titles are hands off. For example, CSGO is run largely by third party entities that want to put on events and, 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 and tournaments. Dota 2, very similar. So often, sometimes the publishers are not involved with esports. Um, Nintendo's another example, famously, where they don't really pay attention. Like, they don't necessarily prioritize. Uh, some people would even say they don't care necessarily about esports, uh, especially for their titles. But you know that doesn't mean it can't change. It doesn't mean that that's always going to be the way. It just has been for in, in certain cases in certain titles. So yeah, it really depends on which games. But like like Fortnite and Rocket League, another example of of where the publishers are really helping run the leagues, and that's also because it's a unique situation in esports where the NHL doesn't own hockey, right? Like the three of us can make a hockey league tomorrow if we had the money. I mean, I'm sure that it would be difficult for us to compete with the NHL, but we could do it, right? But we couldn't necessarily create a top tier League of Legends uh, tournament because we would have to have the permission of Riot Games because Riot Games owns the game, right? 
in which they're competing. So that's an added layer of IP. That's an added layer of permissions that are necessary. Now, technically, when you see people streaming on Twitch, technically they should be obtaining the permission of the publishers to stream those games, right? But because the, there is an unwritten sort of symbiotic relationship happening where, they, where the publishers realize that the more people play their games, the more free advertising in a way they receive because the publishers aren't necessarily paying these people to play the games unless it's a marketing activation and that's different. But predominantly, people are playing on their own accord. So it's sort of like a, hey, you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of thing. I won't come after you for playing our game because it's a, a benefit to us that you're playing the game and you're making a career or a livelihood out of it. Arda, you know, um, unfortunately with the pandemic, so many businesses have been affected, but the gaming industry has continued to grow. And, you know, we talked about it before you came on uh, and we teased it about, you know, Twitch's rise to ascension and, and what they're expected uh, over the next couple of years in terms of growth, over 26% growth. And I know working in the media industry uh, of what the TV experience boom happened, you know, in 2020, people were staying home, obviously. So what shifts did you see in the gaming industry to kind of accommodate for that? And, and have the leagues taken a hit for this? Like the, a lot of the leagues have gotten behind us. Like you just mentioned, the NBA too, and, and the NHL have gotten behind these leagues. Like talk a little bit about that shift. And do we see sustainability here for people that are in this esports? I would say my opinion is, yeah, I do believe that many leagues have sustainability. I think that the pandemic was really a, uh, a crushing blow for many, for everyone really. But in esports in particular, it was more a shift that there were some great plans before the pandemic hit. The Call of Duty scene was going to explode. In fact, the first few tournaments that happened in person before the pandemic hit were terrific. And you could see the momentum building with Call of Duty League. And once the pandemic hit, uh, some of that was derailed because they couldn't have in-person events anymore. And you couldn't get that vibe, that atmosphere. And when it moved online, you could tell on the broadcasts, of course, there are no fans cheering. There's no atmosphere. You're watching the games still. And honestly, a lot of these leagues, like the Call of Duty League, sure, they had their hiccups. Of course, they had their hiccups because they had many people scattered across the country, sometimes across countries and continents, trying to put together a broadcast. And so they should be commended for even putting that all together. Uh, all the major leagues endeavored to do so. And in fact, League of Legends this year did a closed, only the final had fans. I think it was 3,000 fans in a soccer stadium in China. But leading up to it, it was happening at a, at a TV studio. And it, there was COVID protocols and uh, quarantine protocols, et cetera, like very strict guidelines on how to participate so that the um, the COVID rate could remain at zero or very, very low. And so, you know, they, they had to pivot because no one has a handbook on how to handle a pandemic and run a league, right? So they had to pivot and, 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 and really rewrite things on the fly. And a lot of leagues uh, went online and prospered because they were able to do so but still, it was very it was difficult. Now, viewership was 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 pretty good for a lot of these events. And but I'm sure that if you were to ask any of those esports leagues, as soon as the pandemic or uh, lifts and it is safe to do so, uh, there's already thoughts of having world championships in person and resuming that live event experience because that's really where you get the. Um, like I said, like those, those with campfires, so to speak, like just that those shared experiences, but also where the real um, emotion comes from. You mentioned before, you know, a target generation, you know, for esports, which is generation Z, as you mentioned, 
what are we what are we learning about that generation just based on their behavior, the reaction to esports, the growth of esports, as, as opposed to previous generations, like you know, three of us, for example, as we view professional sports. Or you professional calling wrestling. me old? <laughs> if you, you I am, correct, I, then I yes. certainly am old as well. As old as well, but yeah. Nick's older. Nick's older. No. I am. I'm 78. I don't know what about you. Both. Oh, of course. <laughs> 1970. You look good. Clear. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Not bad. Um, Gen Z. So two things that come to mind. Number one, they like the, uh, they like the more intimate experiences, uh, as I mentioned. But the other thing is the authenticity. So one, the piece of advice that is always given to brands that have not come into the esports space yet, but want to play in that area. How do I do it? Uh, is, is the big question, say like a VP of marketing will ask. And the biggest piece of advice, or at least one of the first pieces of advice that they receive is be authentic. And what does that mean? So in esports, slapping your logo on a sponsorship uh, or like on the boards on the ice, that, that sort of vibe of sponsorship isn't really well received in esports. That's not really the best way to go about it. The best cases, I'll give you an example. So I did a panel a couple of years ago before the pandemic, obviously the vice president of marketing for Dr. Pepper was on the panel. And he said that the single most engaged activation that they ever did was with TSM uh, in esports. They just did a funny, like let TSM run wild with creativity. You know, here are some things that we would like to try and avoid. You know, obviously there's a sandbox, but you're letting them, let their creative because they know their audience better than you do, no matter what, right? So if you tell them, look, we'll pay you. We want to do a campaign and activation. Use your players. Here, are, here's like you know some things we would like to try and fit in or whatnot. And TSM knocked it out of the park because they knew their audience so well, and that was the most engaged social media campaign or even one tweet from that campaign that Dr. Pepper ever had. So authenticity is extremely important and also being very self-aware, like just, just knowing that, you know, big brands can be laughed at big brands can be in on the joke, you know, like that's, that's how you will endear yourself to these audiences, especially if you are working with people who are already uh, endemic to those spaces or endeared by uh, people love them, I should say, uh, and let that their creativity run wild with the brand you're going to go way further than just the League of Legends World Championship is brought to you by McDonald's. Like, you know, that might be all right, but it's not going to be a home run uh, necessarily. Arda, I'm so glad that you just mentioned something there because there's been a couple of athletes that have gotten into hot water um, in terms of streaming mm-hmm. and playing video games online. We just saw what happened with Myers Leonard uh, of the Miami Heat. Sure. So I would love for you to take our audience through that. Like, do, do, do we expect that we could see maybe less people playing because of that? I think more generally, I th- uh, toxicity certainly exists in gaming. A lot of gamers would say that they chalk it up to uh, beat of the moment or something really bad happened. It aggravates them. You know, they let their anger get the best of them. We all know that there are words that you shouldn't be using. I think by now, that's extremely common sense. I, I, I think that we all know, can think of what words we should not be using in any context, period, right? Like that should be common sense by now. So to say that it was a, if it is ever used, I'm not saying for any specific example, I'm just saying in a general sense, if that is ever used as an example, that's not an excuse. It's just not. 
th- th- those words should not be in your vocabulary. Like it, we should, we should be avoiding them. We should not be saying those words because they are hurtful to people and we should endeavor not to hurt people yeah. and, no, and we should endeavor to um, further equality in, in, in all facets. So that, that is, that should go without saying, I hope one day that it does go without saying, and we reach a point where this is just assumed, right? Right. Now, here's the thing. The, the gaming industry uh, is also, there are also a lot of young players in this space. I think one thing that I would like to see is a, especially among major orgs, and there are a couple to be fair that are starting to do this. And I'm not saying media training, I'm saying just a crash course on consequences. Like just because, because sometimes people are, I will say that the younger generation is definitely learning the consequence of their actions a lot sooner because the digital age leaves a footprint that cannot be escaped, right? But to know those consequences, sometimes young people feel invincible or maybe they just don't realize the con- what, what their words or their actions would say in any context, anywhere. So that needs to be told to not, I mean, everyone should know this, but in gaming context, context, especially because you are in those situations sometimes where you get aggravated and something doesn't go your way and it really grates at you and you just want to lash out and, 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 and sometimes people use, people swear. Sometimes people are just aggravated and they just let blow off steam. Right. But there's a difference between using a, a cuss word, let's say, and using a word that is defamatory or using a word that is clearly a rate has a racist connotation or something to that effect. Right. So right. there, there needs to be a delineation there. And oftentimes I would like to see organizations put that education forward and say, okay, this is part of your onboarding. You come in day one, let's go through all of this. And here's our policy too. Right now I'm, I'm certain that there's something to this degree happening or there should be with every organization and that, tol- that policy should be very, very severe, right? There should be, in many cases, zero tolerance policy. But that, the, the, that definitely needs to be implemented, for sure. No, that, that, I think that's really well said because, you know, the NFL and a bunch of other leagues do media training for the rookies. And they always have these rookie seminars. And you've seen videos of Herm Edwards, you know, giving speeches to players. But you never heard of anything like that, or you don't know the onboarding process for a lot of the esports, and it skews younger, like you mentioned. So, and I thought it was really well said. It's, it's a really good idea, and maybe one of these leagues will take that up. You know, as you're thinking about going back to you, you know, now being a part of being a part of really esports. Now, you know, from when you started to where you are presently, what are some what are some misconceptions that you had when you first got into to where you are now, as far as like your better understanding of esports and and the world that surrounds it? My biggest misconception was that I couldn't make money doing this, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, that was my biggest personal misconception. I never had that whole, oh, gamers are nerds and they sit in their parents' basement. Like, I'm that nerd. So I didn't care. Like, I felt like I found my people. I, I'm, I am a total nerd. I, I will happily play video games all day. Like, I'm already thinking, like, my daughter is uh, 13 months. I'm already thinking of what game to show her first. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's like top of mind for me. So, like, I have no... Like, you know what I mean? Like, and also, by the way, I, I was in the world of pro wrestling, which is like arguably even more nerdy than video games to many yeah. people. Right. So like, I have no like to stand on as it pertains to anything nerdy whatsoever. Yeah. Um, some preconceptions or pre um, 
preconceived notions that we really could put to rest are like gamers are all out of shape. They don't take care of themselves. I mean, look at some of the streamers. They're in excellent shape. There's one guy named Cypher PK and it's ironic because he's, he's launching a, um, He's had like uh, a, a interactions with uh, a fried, uh, I think it's called Zaxby's, which is they sell like uh, crispy chicken sandwiches. The guy is absolutely shredded. Like he is in fantastic shape and he's not the only one. Like, and that's the other thing. In, in many esports organizations, you see team chefs and team psychologists and team nutritionists and uh, personal trainers that are all hired now to optimize these competitors because. I mean, you don't treat your body right. You're not going to have many years, as many as you can have, right? Like LeBron shows us that, right? Like he spends how many millions of dollars on his body every year and he's able to perform like he's in, the, in his mid-20s, right? So like, unless many games go to overtime, but that's a whole other story. But like, <laughs> like with, with, with esports competitors, it's the same thing. Like they're, they're basically treating their bodies like fine-tuned machines so that they can, uh, even the focus, right? Like a lot of people don't even think about that. Like a lot of people focus on the fact that, oh, they're not like physically exerting themselves. They're not running. They're not jumping. They're not pushing or moving or exerting any sort of strength. Yeah. But the focus necessary to look at a monitor for 12 hours at that degree though, it's, it's like the minutia necessary to focus on in a monitor to be able to dial into that at long periods of time, not only for practice, for scrimmages, for scrims as they call them, for games themselves, and then tape review, that is very, very taxing. And honestly, we don't have a case, like there hasn't really been that sort of level of, of human test in mankind's history, right? Like monitors are a fairly new invention in, in the pantheon of, of, of humankind, right? So like, that this is all like new information essentially that we're getting on how the on how the human condition can even absorb this or even react to this so so that that's a misconception that people uh, still bring up from time to time but i will also say though that the education part of esports and gaming is that a good spot it's no longer like what is esports like what am i doing what am i watching here like I think people are at the point where they know what it is now, even if they're not experts, so to speak, but they have a 101 beginner understanding of what's going on. And now they've probably made their decisions on whether they want to uh, continue uh, paying attention to it. Or if they're like, okay, I get it now. Like, you know, I might pop in from time to time if there's an interesting story, but this isn't for me kind of thing. Nick, um, the episode today is presented by Clark's. Have you ever visited Clark's.com, Nick? Visited. I've I've worn their shoes. Their shoes are fantastic. Yeah, they're they're great. They sell yeah men's shoes, uh, boots. So today's episode is presented by them. But I wanted to tell our audience a little bit about a Clark story, which began almost two hundred years ago when when Cypress and James Clark they they made a slipper from sheepskin, and at the time it was groundbreaking. You know, it's a combination of invention and craftsmanship, and that's always remained at the heart of what Clark's does. You know, from the very beginning, Clark's has always thought differently. You know, brilliant ideas are what set. Clark's apart. I, I really love their shoes. You were talking about the comfort stuff. Um, we're teaming up with Clark's and Podgo, and we're going to bring our listeners 30% off on select items, including the iconic Clark's Desert Boot. You got those, Nick, in your in your closet there? I may, man. I got a couple of pairs. I, I see I see some in the background there. I might got to check if one of those are Clark's Desert Boot. There you boot, go. 30% off select items. All you got to do, you know it by now, folks, podgo.co backslash cart clarks excuse me podgo.co backslash clarks check it out today 30 percent off on select items 
Yeah, Arda, you know, there, there's colleges now giving scholarships for this. We talked about how the at MSG, they turn a conference room into a luxurious lounge. So I think esports are here to stay. Um, before we let you go, because you mentioned WWE and a little bit of nerdiness, you got two WWE guys here on the mic with you. So give us a WWE story, something that happened uh, when the cameras were off or, or something that was crazy uh, from your WWE days. I'll think of a couple. Uh, John Cena has a great memory. I'll tell you that. So like I would go to, um, I didn't know you were a wrestling guy, Mike. This is good to know. I wish I had known that while I was at MSG so we could talk about it more. <laughs> I, I, I wish I had this. known reverse. <laughs> yeah. I did not know this. Yeah. So um, I was big on my pocket squares. Like I would wear, uh, obviously have to wear suits in WWE. I don't wear so many now, but I was big on pocket squares and matching. Uh, and so when I was back, I would go to backstage for Raw once a month. I did a lot more work internationally. So like I was on Raw in India, for example, doing interviews more than I was in the States. I, I never appeared on Raw in the States, but I was in Raw, maybe, I don't know, 20 countries. But mo the biggest uh, presence that I had was I did these exclusive interviews for um, a Sunday Raw program in India. Uh, that was like, a, like it, my interviews would air there and then they'd post them online. So I'd show up once a month and do like six or seven of those interviews. I just, I just put them in the, in the can they would air, uh, chop them up, air them once a week, and then I'd go back the next month uh, to another Raw. So one month, uh, I have like this nice, I wore my like best suit, okay? Like I'm like, all right, first time backstage, I'm gonna impress, right? My, my favorite blue suit, nice pink tie, pink pocket square. I walk by John Cena and he sees my pocket square and he's like, hey, I really like that pocket square, man. That's really good. It's a nice color. It pops on camera. I like it, good choice. Pats me on the back, he walks away. That's it. That was the, that was the interaction. No, hello. How are you? Whatever. Like I never met the guy. I was like, hi, John, I'm Arda or Kyle or whatever. And he, and he just said that and walked away. So month goes by, I wear a different suit and I'm backstage and then I see John Cena again. And I'm not even kidding. He stops. He looks at me, pauses his conversation, walks towards me, looks at me and goes, you know, I like that other pocket square better. <laughs> like, how do, you, how do you, John Cena is like the busiest guy in the company. How do you remember that? Right. Like, yeah. it's just, it's just like, uh, he has a great memory. I, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, one last story for you. I'll tell you how I got the name Kyle Edwards. I basically went from the most ethnic name in broadcasting to the least ethnic name in broadcasting. <laughs> and how that happened was I knew that the name would change once I got signed. And I got signed with the international department. And great people. Uh, I have no regrets whatsoever. WWE was a great time for me. So they said, okay, your name's going to change. Put some names down. Now, I know that the convention for announcers, and you can start thinking of this, is usually they have two first names. I'm thinking Tom Phillips. I'm thinking Josh Matthews. I'm thinking Jim Ross. I'm thinking Michael Cole. I'm thinking Justin Roberts. Usually the name is given to them. Sometimes it's their real name, but like that's the convention that WWE seems to employ in like. So I thought, okay, I'm going to think of names like that. So I thought of a bunch. I also thought maybe I can get away with the last name Turk because my parents are from Turkey. So I thought it'd be a nice little nod. Uh, and I didn't, but that's okay. So we put together a list. The international department, half of them took it seriously. Half of them didn't. Like there were names like Ray Donovan on the list like because it was on Showtime at the time. <laughs> 
And then like Armin Van Buren, the DJ was on the list. Like some people were really like, okay, we don't care. Like who, whatever's going to pick whatever. Right. So you've heard the stories. You're both wrestling fans. So you've heard stories of how like hands-on Vince McMahon is, right? Like how he's so like. Yes. Yeah. So like he's very hands-on. And this is a perfect example of that. Now I wasn't in the room, but three different people told me this story. So I choose to believe it. So there's a meeting happening, a probably creative meeting, talking about storylines going into some pay-per-view. And then at the end of the meeting, uh, the, the, the paper with my names is in one of the uh, writer's hands. He goes to Vince and says, uh, new hire, name is Arda. We're going to change his name. Here's the list of names. Now, think of the absurdity of a billion-dollar chairman of a company needing to think of probably the lowest on the totem pole announcer's name to have to select it in any other company would like the top person in that company even care. <laughs> like, wouldn't they delegate that task? Right. I so agree. he gets right. right. You think so. He gets the list and he looks at it. <laughs> and he doesn't like any of the names on it. Okay. <laughs> shocker. Now you've also probably heard that anything Vince says is like gospel it's like it rolls downhill like if he says something if he says i think i like the color blue the next week all the walls will be painted blue in wwe headquarters do you know what i mean like that that, that's how it rolls down so he just happens to look at it and goes and everyone has a vince impression too mine's bad but he goes i don't like any of these names god damn it you know what we don't have in this company a Kyle. <laughs> and he stops. <laughs> and now the room is like, people are looking at each other like, we don't have a Kyle in this company. As soon as he says it, guess what? It's a foregone conclusion that my name is Kyle. Right. So that's essentially how I got my first name. And then they tried a couple of works, dropped a couple of names. And lo and behold, they became Kyle Edwards. Damn it, we don't have any Kyles in this company. <laughs> that is that is funny. You know, I had a I had a friend that wrestled in the WWE. He won the tag team championship years ago under the Heartbreakers. Uh okay. friend went to high school. Um, so we we've been long wrestling friends. Um, and we appreciate you so much coming on tonight. Arda, I learned so much about esports. I gotta be honest, there's there's I think there's a naiveness to a lot of people that watch the esports, and I think you just shed so much light on it. Um, I appreciated working with you. You've always had a smile on your face. You've been so jovial and so uh, welcoming uh, to me and other friends that worked with you. So I want everybody download Snapchat, check out the ESPN Snapchat stories where you can catch Arda. He is the voice of the NHL Gaming World Championships. Arda Ocal, thank you so much for being with us tonight. I really appreciate it. Great to catch up with you, Mike. Nick, nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Arda Ocal. Uh, like I said, you can check out Ardo Cow. He's the, the voice of the NHL Gaming World Championships. He's on ESPN Snapchat Stories. Arda does a great job. I worked with him at MSG Networks for years. Uh, energetic guy. So check out everything that he's doing. Uh, he's fantastic. But really opened my eyes to, you know, the world of esports. You know, we talk about this all the time when guests come on the show. And, and really, um, they know what they're talking about. And it's and they're educating us on certain things. The, the rise of esports 
is so fascinating to me. Nick, you and I, we talked about this with Arda when the camera was off. You know, we played in an NHL 96 league and, and here we are, you know, playing for a few shekels and people watching us in college. And now there are actual kids that are getting scholarships to play video games. There are kids that are profiting financially and doing this for a living. And he he talked about it, how honed in they are. They, they train, right? They buy the latest equipment. They buy the latest controllers. They're practicing. It is, it is a booming business and it's growing because, you know, the internet advent and you, you know, you can use high speed uh, routers and ISPs and you don't need to leave the comforts of your home to play a video game or, uh, and, or be a streamer. I, like what do you make of, of Arda and what do you make of esports in general? Well, you know, I mean, Arda, I think Arda might've done the best job I've seen of any of our guests who takes us into their their interesting little worlds. You know, the yeah. world that we don't know as much about. I mean, like, for example, our first episode, Mike, you took us through the world of media, right? You know, and we've had people come on, you know, people like Jeff Perlman, you know, Dr. Dice, and people talk about their work, and they do it in a way that sort of brings you under, under the tent. I felt like Arda put esports under the microscope, right. and we were able to really get a sense of, what is this world that's going on? I, I don't know about you, but I definitely felt old in the process because yeah, gaming meant so such a different thing to you and I when we were in college and all of our friends and to see what is happening now. And Arda did also just was very upfront about the fact that it's very telling how this generation that has attached itself to esports, you know, who we refer to as Generation Z, right. and what they want out of esports, which sounds very familiar to what as they're now going into the workforce, what they want out of their careers in terms of community, in terms of authenticity. It was it was very enlightening to get an understanding of what does this world speak to about the people who are most attached to it. No, that's very well said because I, I totally agree. Like it really, for me, I think the stigma of esports, he kind of peeled back that onion a little bit because it's like, it's not what you think. It's not people that are out of shape that don't, you know, are sitting at home in the bay. Like, it's not like that. And esports is really different. There's so many different leagues. I think the other thing that I learned about the video game manufacturers that actually own, you know, the light, like, he made the comparison of we could start our own league if we really wanted to, but financially, we'd probably get blown out of the water. Whereas <laughs> in esports, you can't do that without the consent. You know of the gaming company so there was so much interesting stuff there from arda i i, I really enjoyed our conversation with him now future conversations future episodes you want to stream us whenever you can nick is pointing down to smash the subscribe button on youtube follow us yeah hit subscribe for us there follow us on ig TikTok, twitter at can we please talk podcast uh you can stream us audio wise across all the platforms you know them by now folks apple spotify google blah 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 what are you doing with this i know i i gotta i gotta give it to the people we give them a plug we out Uh, here people yeah we're out here check us out can we please talk podcast as always i'm mike leon and i'm about to go twitch my madden game i'm nick (laughs) (laughs) thanks everybody we'll see you next time later